How many still feel challenged from last week's message? I think it was great. I was challenged. Grateful for the message that came that we were challenged to guard and to build our homes based on the word of God. I think Pastor Noah just did a great job challenging us, especially as families. But today I want to try to challenge you as individuals that make up these families. And so today I feel the, the, the title that I gave today was A Line in the Sand. And you heard Pastor Rob, who always just does a great job with the treehouse. And uh, we were able to uh, hear a little bit about the story we're going to talk about today. But uh, let me just stop and say, is this world operating at a pace that you're comfortable with? <laughs> it is moving fast, isn't it? And I'm just amazed at how fast-paced everything is going and how fast... Things are changing, and I understand changes happen, but boy, oh boy, just a few thoughts that I had as I was sitting here and looking at this, and it was like, I saw this statistic. Now, I only saw it cited one time, so is this completely factual? Well, it was on the site that I was looking at, but it said more people eat out regularly than buy groceries. So, of course, we all buy groceries at some point. But 50.9% of the time, people will eat out versus the groceries that they bought. Isn't that amazing? At least for the world that I grew up in. That's just crazy. And, you know, just one of the other things that I'm still trying to wrap my head around is about the, the amount of people that are able to work at home and not go to an office. It's still just one of those things that... I get it. I know it's happening, but it's just one of those things. It's something that changed just in the last couple of years so rapidly. And the speed that we get new information, not necessarily always the most accurate information, but new information. You know, it used to be ABC, NBC, or CBS. Or if you had Channel 20, WXON, right? Or we could go on and on, but Maybe it was a newspaper, maybe it was a magazine. When's the last time you went out and bought a newspaper? I'm sure some have done that recently. How many have gone to a magazine stand and bought a magazine recently? I haven't done that in a long time. And the problem is I think the social media has taken over and we're starting to take a lot of our cues and actually we'll start quoting things because we saw it on social media as if it's newsworthy. <laughs> And I'm just amazed at how fast that has moved and grown. I read to my wife yesterday, I looked and I found it on a couple different sites. I was just looking up the amount of screen time that has happened in the year 2021. Now, screen time meaning how much time have you spent in front of a screen? And I'm going to qualify this. This is not including work, but the amount of time that is spent in front of a phone screen in 2021, how many want to take a guess what that number is? Hours-wise. Five to six hours spent on a phone, not including work time. I think that's pretty... How many get that report? If you got an iPhone, I know you do. Do you get that report once a week, tell you how many hours you've been on the phone and Sometimes I'm looking at it like, holy snipe. 
I can't believe how many hours I've been. It told me the other day I was two and a half hours of screen time on my phone. Now, I do use my phone for work too, but just like adjust the way things are just moving. How about getting packages? How many remember that you used to save your money? You used to go out and shop at a store. You might even put something on layaway. Then you come back later when you have all the money and you buy it. And then you might get to take it home at that point. Then you do get to take it home. How many have experienced ordering something on Amazon and getting it the same day? There's hands. Isn't it? It's just... Culture is just changing, changing, changing. It's just going. It just blows my mind to think that I can order something online and have it at my house the same day. And I've had that happen. The world my parents raised me in. Actually, the world that Lynn and I raised our children in is so far from the norm today. I don't know if you could say the same for your household. Your households. See, when I grew up in the, in the house that we tried to raise our sons in, there was a lot of talk about faith. There was a lot of talk about God. There was a lot of talk about Jesus as our cornerstone. And that's what we did to try to, to speak that into our kids' lives so that, that when they grew, they would be able to continue to have that as part of their life. And, and thankfully, being very blessed, we have that. There's been two voices that I've heard in my head on a pretty consistent basis. And one is his name is John Allen. That was my father. Who passed when I was 24 years old, so I didn't get a... I got a lot of time with him, but I didn't get a whole lot of time with him. And he did his best to to instruct and teach and pour into me, and he did. There's times when I'm doing things and I'm like, oh, John wouldn't be very happy right now. <laughs> another, another voice that I hear in my head, mostly because I have them in my AirPods, is Tony Evans. And both of them kind of talk the same way. And I don't know if you've, been, uh, if you've been spending any time watching TV over the last week, but I have because they've had the championships on for the... The, the world championships of track and field. And I, I just so enjoy track and field. And I've been watching and the athletes that are there, they're just so incredible at what they do. But what I love about it is when it comes to like track and field, I, I, I ran races. I, I did some uh, field events and different things when I was younger. And uh, I also wrestled and I loved team events, but I also liked the events that, that kind of was my responsibility to do what I was going to do. And if I didn't perform well, I didn't do very good for the team. But when I did well, I helped the team along. And as uh, I heard Pastor Tony Evans saying the other day, he's, he was just, here's a gentleman, Pastor Tony was... Uh, the former chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys. And so he's working at a very high level with professional athletes and everything. And, and he was just talking and he brought up this idea of home teams versus visiting teams. And, and it really struck a chord with me because I always felt like I was on the home team. 
And I think in our culture, in our nation, in the way that we did things for a lot of years, that if you were one that professed Jesus Christ, if you were one person of faith and you walked around in faith, I would have said we were the home team. How about you? Would you agree with that statement for those of you that have walked in the faith for any period of time? But I am realizing we're not the home team anymore. We're the visiting team. We're not the majority, or it seems that we're not. And, and as I'm looking at this, what happens if you go into a stadium and, and you've got the home team, and you've got the one that you're there to cheer for and everything, when they get possession and they go on the offensive, what happens while well, the crowd gets into it, right? They're cheering and they're going and they're, you know, hooting, hollering and they're, they're, they're cheering their team on. What happens when the, when the visiting team gets possession? Oh, they get booed, they get yelled at, they do everything they can to distract the, uh, the home team. And I've never been out to this stadium in Seattle, but they call it the 12th man in football out in Seattle because the crowd is so loud that the visiting team has a hard time knowing what's going on and hearing the counts of the quarterback and, and different things like that. And, and if you go out there and you're on the visiting team, you're getting booed and you're getting jeered and you're getting yelled at and you're getting told that you're not worth a whole lot. And that today kind of leads me to where I want to go today. If you will, take your Bibles, if you have them, your devices, whatever it is. We're going to go to Daniel, and we're going to read all of chapter 1. And I hope that you'll stay with me. I hope that you don't, oh, a whole chapter. We're in church, folks. Hopefully we want to hear the word of God, right? So let's take a moment, and we're going to just read this entire chapter. I'm going to read it out of the NIV if you have a device so that you can be seeing the same words that I'm, I'm speaking. So it says this in Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, in the, and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was able to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years after that they were uh, to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen from some, of the, from some of Judah was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine as he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord of the Lord my king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any of the, younger, the other young men your age? The king 
then would have my head because of you. And Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Place, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better, nourished, they looked better and nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they drink the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand uh, visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all of, his, all of the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's a lot to digest, but there's a lot of great things in there that we could talk about today. And just to give you a little idea leading up to all this, God said he was going to judge his people because his people had walked away from worshiping him and him only. And they began to look at idols and to worship all these different things. They began to take on what land they live in because they didn't wipe them completely out. They began to take on their gods and the different things of the land. We're talking about, about 605 B.C. here when we're, when we're talking. So Nebuchadnezzar, it says, he's brought his army into war against Jerusalem. And as we saw from Pastor Rob, that this nation came in and seized them and it took over control of that land, and they began to take the people that they want, and they brought them back to Babylon as their captives. And it also sp specifically points out that they also took temple articles, articles of God that were, that were kept in the temple. They took those and brought it back, and, and they put the Israelite or the, the, the Jewish items in with their gods and their temple. And as I read that, all, all I can think is they had no regard for Israel's God at all. They just kind of made it incorporate with the rest. They were going to just worship all the different gods that they had. And from their home, think about this. As I read this and as I look at it and as I talk, uh, look into like theologians and what they say, I always thought Daniel and his friends were, I was always told that they were probably around 17 or whatever, but the more that I read and the more I look into it and the more theologians that I read, they say they were probably closer to 14 years old when they were taken. So if I have any young people that are sitting in this house today, which I know we do, you have so much value and you have so much going for you if you continue to keep the Lord at the center of your life that I just find it amazing that they say that these guys were about 14 years old when they brought them in to this service. They were stripped from their land, taken to a whole new place. Talk about culture shock. Talk about a fast-moving culture. 
That's why I kind of started with that. Can you imagine everything that you ever had known on Sunday morning was different on Monday morning? Everything, everything had changed. From this home that, that understood Jehovah as God, now moving into a land that had many gods, polytheism, they would say, gods of the region. All the region's gods began to become what they worshipped. Their lives, their residence, their location, everything, especially their culture, changed overnight. And they were started in a program that would begin to train them into the thinking and the behaviors like a Babylonian. They put them in their school and they had them begin to learn their language and their literature. And obviously these guys had to have some type of skill because now they're all of a sudden starting to learn a whole new language, a whole new way of living. They already had their language, right? But they weren't able to speak it that way. They had their Hebrew, but now they were going to speak whatever they had in Babylon. And they began to teach them their literature and all this. For three years, they put them in a school to train them, to teach them. I really believe that's kind of what's going on in our culture today. And I'm not here to pick on anybody in the education system, but our education system is being challenged at so many levels and so many ways. And I just want every educator that sits in this house to know that I believe we need to continue to be praying for you like we've never prayed for you. Especially if you're a believer in the public system today, we are praying for you. And even if you're a, a believer and you're in a Christian system, you need our prayers today. And church, I hope that you'll get that deep in your heart and be praying for our educators because they're trying to do a lot, I believe, with our education system that is just trying to strip all value of any faith away from it. During 2020, I was reading an article that showed a video. I saw, I was reading the article and then they had a video that followed it with this one teacher talking about how unhappy he was with the access that parents had to his classroom now. He didn't like it because now the parents had an idea of what was going on in that classroom. And again, that's why we must be praying for our educators. And I'm not just, I mean at every level, especially from our young ones, of course, that are so impressionable, but even at our college level and all that's going on there and the way that they're just getting hit. Because I believe that our culture, if you will, wants to make us into, the word that I would kind of grew up with was a secularist. Today, I don't even know what today, I would say even just a few years ago, it was close, called postmodernism. And it's, listen to, listen to the definition of this. It's a secular spirit or tendency, especially a system of political or social philosophy that rejects all form of religious faith and worship. And the second one is the view that public education and other matters of civil, civil policy should be conducted without the introduction of a religious element. Let's face it, folks, all of our major institutions, and I'm not just talking about education, but all of our institutions are doing so much that are trying to pull God out of it at every level, especially in our media. And to put some value 
on this whole idea. I believe we've been continually being desensitized to things that are going, changes are happening, and I think we kind of get callous to it after a little bit. Just look at commercials. Look at what you see in a commercial today to what maybe you grew up seeing or hearing in a commercial. There's a couple that I would like to tell you about, but I don't even know that I should do it in mixed company. I was reading a headline, just headlines yesterday, and I even caught myself skipping through, oh, yep, there was another shooting here that killed one and injured three, and then over here, two people died and a police officer was shot. And I could see the headline and I just move on and keep going because it's happening so frequently and the desensitization of all of this. And this is life. This is the value of life. And I should not just be blowing past it. I should be looking at it and say, Lord, convict me in this. Continuing to work inside of me and just the normalization of illicit sexual behavior that goes on in our culture and, and gender orientation, the way that it's talked about and Allowing a child to choose, I've heard of parents that they don't tell them if they're boy or girl. They give them the option to choose what they want to be. That's so against what our scripture says, he made them male and female. For Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They were enrolled into Babylon's education system. They were taught for three years. They were put into that system. They were isolated. They were taken away from everything that they knew. They even got removed from a lot of the people that they were probably, the way I understand it, they were pulled away from even a lot of those that they were exiled with. And they were put into this special school to do this, and then to have their names taken away. Can you imagine having your name changed? That's the, one of the most intimate things that we have is our name. Daniel, his name meant God is my judge, changed to the name Belteshazzar, the chief god, Bel, was the chief god of Babylon, and it talked about protecting life. Hananiah, his name meant the Lord shows grace. His name changed to Shadrach, servant of the moon god, Aku. Mishael, his name meant who is equal to God. Changed to Meshach, the shadow of the prince. Or who is this? Azariah, his name meant the Lord helps. Changed to Abednego, servant of Nego. God of wisdom or the morning star. Their names were taken from them and they were referred to as different. And I'm still trying, well, let's go on. To me, that's an indoctrination at a very high level. You don't even get to keep your same name. You're going to have a different name. And then we could talk about the food and where Daniel stood up and said, no. Can you imagine the King Nebuchadnezzar at the time, the most powerful king walked into Jerusalem, overtook it. They besieged it. They overtook it. They dragged these young men out, put them in an education system, 
And at 14 years old, Daniel's saying, no, I don't think we're going to do it that way. <laughs> That's why I say, you, if you're here and you're 14, oh my gosh, stand on his word because you can change a culture. You can change a society. I believe and I believe in our youth. And I just trust that every young person here be excited about who you are and what you're being raised in and just embrace it. Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself with that. And neither are my three friends. The four of us are going to say no to that. And Aspenaz, I trust that you'll listen to me on this. And he did. That's because God moved in that place. Because he stood his ground. He was not going to compromise his faith. And God gave them the favor that they needed. They could have had the ultimate gratification because they, they understood a pretty good life. They came from royalty, nobility, background. They had privilege from the way that I read it. But they could have had the ultimate gratification of the king's food, the king's drinks. But Daniel believed in God's word. And he remembered what he was taught. Now, I know that this is not what was taught when he was a kid, because this is New Testament, but I say this for all of our young people here today in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, because you are young, but set an example for those, uh, for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's inspired words from our Lord. See, Daniel had to draw a line in the sand. He couldn't cross a particular line. His faith was not going to be compromised. And I just want to ask you all that today. What is going on? What do you have to do? Where, where do you need to step up and say, I'm drawing a line right here? You know, I was asking the, the worship team in the back, have you ever drawn a line and threatened somebody and say, don't you dare cross that line? And they did. So what did I do? I drew a second line. And they crossed that one too. Next thing I know, we're wrestling and we're fighting and we're doing these different things. It's not the same thing that I'm talking about here. We're not trying to threaten our enemy and say, oh, I dare you to cross this line. No, what I'm saying is you're drawing a line saying, there is nothing that they have that I want that goes against the scripture and what my God has said for us. And I am drawing a line saying, I'm not crossing over into that. I'm standing on God's word. And when I stand on God's word, that means I'm going to be challenged. That means people aren't going to like it. That means we're part of a visiting team and the home team might start booing us and they might start yelling at us. But you know what? I'm standing up for what God has for us or what he has for me. And I'm not crossing over that line. No matter what you may offer, it may be king's food. It may be king's wine. It may be those type of things. But I can't go there because my God has said this. And this is, I believe, what Daniel stood Next scripture, Exodus 34, 14, 15. Do not worship any other God, the Lord, whose name is jealous. He is a jealous God. For be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. 
Daniel said, oh no, guys, we're not even going there. We're not going there. How about Leviticus 7, 23 through 27? He says, say to the Israelites, do not eat of any of the fat of cattle, sheep, or goats. The fat of any animal found dead or torn by wild animals may be used for any other purpose, but it must, but you must not eat it. Anyone who eats the fat of an animal from that which a food offering may be presented to the Lord must be cut off from their people. And whoever or, and wherever you live, you must not eat the blood of any bird or animal. Anyone who eats blood must be cut off from their people. Now, I will say Daniel, I'm quite sure, understood these scriptures. I'm pretty sure Daniel had been taught in this. He'd probably been taught from a young time, a very young age. And I just admire the qualities of the parents that raised Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they had instilled something deep into those guys. And Daniel said, I will not offend my God. I will not offend my God. I will not compromise my faith because of those type of things. It may seem easier, and it may even seem better at the time, but he's saying, no, 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 no. I already know the long term here. I'm not going to go there. I'm not crossing over this. Here, let's put it in another story. Turn over to chapter 3. We're going to talk about what Pastor Rob talked about. Chapter 3 is where these three guys, they stood their ground when that that 90-foot idol was created, and they were told, and we said, we heard, that the music would play, and they were told that they would have to bow down, and they said they were not going to bow down. They had drawn their line in the sand, and they said this to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to answer you at this point. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, <laughs> we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden idol that you have set up. We're not bowing to that thing. Man, the fortitude that these young guys had because they were so bought into what they had been trained and taught in their home. And in their faith, they loved their God so much. They said, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know what? We want what we want a lot of times. And we think God should act in the way that we think he should act. But you know what? God is God. And we're told to follow his ways. He just doesn't look out for all of our best of interest and our most comfortable way of doing things. Chapter 6 moves on to Daniel in the lion's den and multiple decades later, multiple decades later, they're saying now Daniel in chapter 6 is probably about 80 years old. So he went from 14 in chapter 1 to chapter 6. He's about 80 years old. He's gone through multiple kings at this point. But Daniel still has a high-ranking position, even after multiple kings. God has been with him and blessed him. And the leaders around the country, or the leaders around the king, uh, had to 
As you read this story in in chapter 6, they were trying to get Daniel busted. They wanted to get some dirt on him. They They wanted to hurt him. They wanted him out of his position. And the men said this in chapter 6, verse 5, we will not find any basis for any accusation against this Daniel unless we find something against him in connection with the law of his God. What a testimony that is. And folks, it's getting late. I'm sorry. Let me hustle up here. I believe our religious freedoms are going to be challenged and they are being challenged. The threats are growing. You know, if you don't don't speak the way that we want you to speak, we're going to cancel you. We're going to take you out. We're going to protest you. I'm struggling with a woke society. I don't fit in very well. I hope you feel the same way. My question to you today is, is your line, is your line clearly drawn? Have you made that line very specific that you will not cross over? Can I give you a couple challenges before we close here? This is not my original stuff. I found this, but I love what it says. I wish I could find out who said it, but they said it this way. Peace with God means conflict with the world. And peace with the world means conflict with God. You want that peace? I want to just challenge you today or in this week. Go home and read Romans 5. Just read the first 11 verses. It'll talk about that peace. That will help you. But peace with God means conflict with this world. Second point that I'd like you to see. Staying committed to God may seem easy on certain levels, but when you have something to lose, how will you respond? Let me please read you one last scripture this morning. comes out of Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Out of the Amplified Version, it says, And as you have therefore received Christ, even Jesus the Lord, so walk and regulate your lives and conduct yourselves in union and conformity to him. Have your roots, the roots of your being firmly and deeply planted in him, fixed and founded in him, being continually built up in him. Becoming increasingly more confirmed and established in the faith. Just as you were taught and abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving. Stay committed. The tough times are coming. Guaranteed. And then my third last challenge to you today. You've heard this. You've probably said it. If you don't stand for something... You will fall for anything. Choose. Choose what you will bow to or stand for today. And I'm going to go back to what we heard last week. Joshua 24, 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, 
we're gonna serve the Lord. We're keeping the Lord at the center of it all. It's not gonna be the popular place. It's not gonna be the easy place. But it's gonna be the most blessed place that you can find yourself. Father, I come before you right now and I thank you for this time and this place. God, I ask that you just bless each one that is in this place, that's online hearing these words. Lord God, we wanna honor you. Lord, we wanna be like the examples that we have in scripture, especially this example of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Lord God, where they stood for you. It didn't matter the circumstances, it didn't matter. Lord God, as those three guys said, King, we're not bowing to you because our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, doesn't change a thing. I'm still serving him. And I'm still not bowing to that. Oh Lord, let us have that type of an attitude in this culture that we're in. We're not better than anybody. But because we have you, oh Lord, we are blessed. Oh, we are blessed. We do have privilege in you. That may not seem like privilege in this world, but Lord God, we know that it is because Lord God, we don't live for just this world. We live for the kingdom of God. We don't just live for the blessings that we can have in this world. We live for the blessings that we will have in our eternal home with you. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I just want to challenge you today, everyone that's in this room. Drawing your line in the sand. I mean, it's, it's simply making a decision. Making a decision in your heart that you're not going to allow anyone or anything to move you away from what you know in Scripture. have to draw that line and you have to be able to stand behind that line and I know things are going to come against you and I know things are going to challenge you see this decision when based on the word of God based on the word of God or the one that we have believed in for I know whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he is able to keep me against these things in that day right it's a commitment that we have to make. It's, it's, it's a commitment that we make that I trust will be permanent and irreversible decision in your heart. Can I have you all stand with me today? I just feel it's so important to say, you know what? I don't know that everyone that's in this place has made that commitment to Christ in their heart. The problem is, is we all want the privilege and the blessings of Scripture. We want the Lord to move in our hearts. We want the Lord to move in all these ways, but we have got to include him at the very first part of our life in that. We have to make him the Lord of our life. We have to make a confession with our mouths. We've got to believe in our hearts, as Scripture tells us. We have to admit that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's the first thing that you have to do is you have to admit that I need you, Savior. 
Jesus, this perfect lamb, gave himself willingly, sacrificially, and said, you're not have to go through that old system anymore of sacrificing all these animals and all. I will do it. And Jesus, one time, died on the cross, shed his blood so that we can have it, so that you can become one of those, what we would call a believer. You admit you're a sinner. You believe in your heart that he did all of this for you. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord. He's your Savior. And you can have that eternal gift of salvation through him. Seems way too simple, doesn't it? Well, that part is that simple. But we have to have a change in our heart. We have to have a godly sorrow in our heart that changes us from the way that we think it should always be. And we begin to start seeing things through the eyes of our Savior and the way that he did it. And he begins to put that godly sorrow in and change us. And we say, I've got to repent from the way that I've always thought it should be. Start saying, Lord, you're my God, and I want it the way you have called it out. Will you all just bow your heads with me again as you stand there? I'm, I'm really, I'm done. But this is so important. If you've never done that, I just... And I'm going to ask the people in the house to even pray it with me because all of us that have done that know how important this step is. And we're willing to repeat that with you to make you feel comfortable because of what we're saying. And so just pray with me. Oh, Lord, I just ask you today, oh, Lord God, to understand you at a greater level. And I ask you today because I'm broken, I'm lost, and I need a savior. So today, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, and I believe in my heart that you have risen from the dead. And by doing that, your word tells me that I can be saved. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for all those that have made that confession, maybe for the first time. Lord, I ask that you continue to let that godly sorrow work in their heart and continue to draw them closer to you. We thank you for it. And Lord God, we just say thank you, Lord God, for anyone that made that confession today. We thank you for that, and we welcome them into this family of God. We ask it in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. If you made that confession today, if you made that profession, it is that easy, but now your life's work is cut out for you. You have to follow them every day. You, have to, you need to get into a church. You need to be taught. You need to have somebody teaching you. Get into a place where the word is spoken, where you have fellow believers that are agreeing with you and walking with you. So just please come back. <laughs> please stay in this family of God because we care about you. We love you. Our altars are open. If you need prayer this morning, our elders will be available. God bless you. Sorry, I know I went a little bit longer than we normally do today. Bless you. Have a tremendous week.